Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. I'm Melanie. And I'm Cassie. We're here to help you relax and unwind. It's time for candles, bubbles, wine, and of course, a tale of true crime. So go on, soakers. Settle into the tub. Let your muscles relax and your heart race as we dive into Bath and Body Parts. August 2nd, 1976, 12-year-old Andrea Wilborn was home alone at her mother's mansion in Fort Worth. Now, her mother, Priscilla Davis, was going through a really nasty public divorce with her stepdad, Cullen Davis, and Priscilla had been granted temporary possession of the mansion. This was not where Andrea lived. She lived with her father, Jack Wilborn. But that weekend, she had been visiting an aunt in Houston, and the plan was for her dad to go get her, but it just didn't end up working out. His plans got shifted, so her sister Dee went to pick her up instead, and Dee lived at the mansion, so she ended up staying in the mansion that weekend. So that night, Andrea was there, and actually, she was there alone. This was a Monday, and everyone else was out. Now, at some point that evening, somebody entered the house. Somebody who was not supposed to be there. Somebody with sinister intentions. The intruder took Andrea down to the basement. He forced her to kneel and shot her in the head. Andrea fell face down into a pool of her own blood. Before leaving the basement, the killer rolled Andrea over to make sure he'd finished the job. And once he was sure he'd accomplished his goal, he headed back up the stairs to wait. He was just getting started. That's a heavy way to start our episode, but we are going to go a bit back um, because our story begins a long time before August 2nd, 1976. So we're going to take a step back and tell you about some of the people that are involved in this case. The first is T. Cullen Davis. And Cullen was born into big money. His father, Ken, who was known as Stinky, (laughs) Stinky Davis, I love that, had struck it big in the Texas oil industry. And, you know, we live in Texas and I don't, I cannot even imagine what the oil industry was like in the state. Back in the day. But if you were making money through oil, you made it pretty big. Yes. Like, And I think I think of, you know, like old TV and sort of these big time business uh-huh. moguls. Like that's yes, who Stinky Davis yes. really was. Yes. Yeah. I just picture him as somebody who was on like Dallas. Or yes, something. absolutely. Like, you know, and this like, family as well. Like we can't overstate it. They were so, no. so, so rich. So rich. And Stinky was gruff and hard-nosed and, you know, very stereotypical oil, you know, money guy. And Cullen was one of three boys. He had an older brother, Ken Jr., and a younger brother, Bill. And Cullen was good-looking, but a little bit awkward when he was younger. In fact, he was pretty quiet and reserved, and he didn't have a ton of friends 
He wasn't super funny or outgoing, but he still kind of managed to attract the ladies with his quiet, loner, formal look. Yeah, he was the kind of guy that would like wear suits to high school. Like this, uh-huh. he was very uh-huh. formal, but he was very good looking and he was rich. So yeah. He had some boxes checked, yeah. <laughs> right? Like if you were if you were interested in that. And the pictures of him when he is young, like he is objectively handsome. You yeah, know? he's he's quite good looking for sure. And you know, he tended to attract girls from the quote other side of the tracks. And if you have this much money, like pretty much everyone that you know is poor, right. like compared so to everyone else, everyone else is on the other side. Of it's the like a doctor's daughter, <laughs> but she's the other side. It's <laughs> not very good. <laughs> and so Cullen joined the family business and eventually he married a well-known respectable girl named Sandra. And over time, the initial spark in their marriage started to fade away. And neither Sandra nor Cullen were happy. And they both knew that their marriage was going to end soon. And, you know, it happens. It happens. Absolutely. But in the meantime, they were still attending events together. And they were going about their lives and just kind of doing their normal thing. Yeah. And and it's interesting because Fort Worth, to me, is, is a pretty big city. I, I don't yeah, picture people yeah. kind of knowing each other there. Right. Like I have friends that live in Fort Worth, but I don't think they know each other. I'm not like, oh, you're from Fort Worth. Do you know this other person? Right. <laughs> right. But at the time, it really was more of a community feel. So they were very well known in the community. Yeah. The family, obviously the very rich family was. Right. But Cullen and Sandra were still very much a part of Fort Worth social circles. And I feel like that's still accurate for like DFW socialite circles these days. Like, you know, you watch The Real Housewives of Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a whole other world over there. Yeah. And one of the big things that happens in Fort Worth is the Colonial Golf Tournament. And this is a very big deal. And I don't know if you've ever been to a golf tournament, but it's... No, no. Very much less about the golf and more about just standing around and drinking and visiting. Uh I mean, you do watch the golf too, but um, it's a very interesting kind of bougie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I certainly feel out of place. I have not been to the Colonial. I've been to the Byron Nelson, which is similar. Yeah. But, you know, they were very expected to attend this event and Cullen and all of his friends are going there. And so the day before the Colonial Golf Tournament, Sandra and Cullen are out playing tennis. And there on the courts is where Cullen met Priscilla Wilborn. Now, Priscilla was drop-dead gorgeous. Very stereotypical blonde bombshell. Yeah. And, you know, she knew that she looked good and she liked people looking at her. And she was flashy and dressed very provocatively. She would kind of wear halter tops and daisy dukes. And she had a lot of confidence. Definitely a lot and of confidence. If I looked like that, I'd be wearing that Oh, too. yeah. She's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. She's very hot. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, I think that that was a bit more eyebrow raising. Sure. Than it would be now because yeah. the way that she dresses now she would just blend right in but she definitely did not blend in at the time now priscilla was married to jack wilborn and had been for eight years jack was a lot older than her when they met she was 18 and he was 40 yeah (laughs) and he was actually her second husband 
So she had been married when she was 16. Wow. Very briefly, but she had a baby right off the bat. And then her husband cheated on her and she left the marriage, but you know, she had a little baby in tow. And so by the time she met Jack, she was a single mom and they connected right away. And then they had two more children, Andrea and Jackie. Now, despite the fact that both Cullen and Priscilla were married when they met each other, there was an instant spark. And they ran into each other again the next day at the Colonial. And they both continued to feel that spark, but they didn't act on it right away. But as it turns out, they would both be pretty free to act on it sooner rather than later. Because shortly after the Colonial, both Sandra and Jack filed for divorce from their spouses. Wow. So neither one of them actually were the ones to initiate their divorces. No. And as far as I can tell, there wasn't anything that went on at the Colonial. Sure. I think it was just kind of coincidental that both of them were in these failing marriages at the time. Now, Sandra and Cullen's divorce was relatively amicable, about as amicable as a divorce, like a public divorce can be, but Jack and Priscilla's was definitely not. Now, Jack wanted custody of the kids, but Priscilla was awarded temporary custody while the divorce settled, and especially at the time, that was very normal because they're going to reward custody to the mom at that time. Yeah, and this is the 70s, so, right? So that, that lines up. And whether it was the resentment over that or just the typical bitterness, but this divorce quickly turned pretty nasty. And Jack's lawyers actually brought in some character assassination witnesses into the custody battle. And one of these was the kid's babysitter's mom. And the kid's babysitter's mom said that Priscilla swore in front of the kids and that she walked around scantily clad in lacy tennis outfits, you know. Because that makes you a really bad mom if you're dressed provocatively and you swear. Terrible, terrible. (laughs) Priscilla just, I feel like her entire life, she just gets a bad rap for being this sort of normal, provocative. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially normal. Like she's just dressing. Yeah. It's nothing outrageous. Not that there's anything wrong with dressing outrageous anyway, but no, no. She just doesn't fit into the Fort Worth conservative socialite life. Exactly. And, you know, Priscilla told her lawyer that during the proceedings, Jack stopped by her place twice and raped her. But the divorce continued to move forward and was eventually settled. And Dee ended up living with Priscilla Mm -hmm. and Andrea and Jackie lived with Jack, but would go visit their mom. She had some custody of them, although the primary custody was with Jack. Sure. In August of that year, Priscilla called up Colin Davis. She actually wanted tickets to the Cowboys-Packers game and wondered if he could help her out. And I just want to point out that the book Blood Will Tell by Gary Cartwright is one of our primary sources for this episode. And that's where we get these more obscure details, like looking for the football tickets. And Gary Cartwright was a journalist in the area at the time. And so he was very much involved with the case and kind of had some unique insights. So the book is, is very detailed. And I feel like when you get those journalists and reporters actually writing books, it makes for such an interesting read, you know, like you get, you get so many more details than someone who's just kind of 
looking from the outside. There are a lot of books about this case. I want to say there are like five or seven different books that you can read and we'll list all those in the show notes. But But this uh, is the one that we That one was our primary one. It's very good. So Priscilla and Cullen ended up dating pretty much immediately, but they kind of carried on in secret because Cullen's divorce wasn't settled yet and he didn't want to give any fuel to Sandra's lawyers. You know, if you're in a divorce... You don't want to be giving them anything that they can use against you. Especially when you have so much money on the line. Yes. And they would go to football games, but they wouldn't just, you know, they wouldn't sit with each other and they would just meet up later. Which I think is very interesting. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit with you, but like later on we'll hook up. Like, interesting. As soon as Colin was divorced, they did set a date for their wedding. And coincidentally, (laughs) Stinky Davis... What he actually passed away on the day that they were getting married. And I don't think that he was a big fan of Priscilla, right? In the documentary, they talked about that Stinky just could not believe that his son would would go for someone so uh, risque, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so they got married on in, in five hours before their wedding, Stinky died. That's just crazy. Before they got married, though, Colin asked Priscilla to sign something, and they later disagreed on what that something was. According to Colin, it was a prenup, and Priscilla said that Colin told her that she was signing tax documents. So not the best look to not know what what we're signing here, especially if it's a prenup. This is very important. And and this comes up later in their relationship as they do eventually start to get divorced. But it's hard to say who's being truthful about that particular detail because I don't know if I was Priscilla I might would lie and say that I didn't sign a prenup too. Right, right, (laughs) right, right. But either way, they proceeded with the marriage and almost right away, Cullen became a noticeably different person. Now, before he was very kind of stiff and reserved, but now he sort of took on Priscilla's flashiness. So he went from driving a Pontiac to driving a Cadillac He stopped wearing suits and would kind of dress a little bit more casually in sports jackets. And he, all of a sudden, loved spending money. He would take Priscilla shopping and adorn her with gifts, like her favorite necklace that said, rich bitch. This is the type of stuff that doesn't fit in with the Fort Worth conservative-minded socialite circle. You can't be wearing a necklace that says rich bitch. I mean, I love it. I love it. I know. It's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And I just feel like, especially in the 70s. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I want one. (laughs) And then he ends up giving Priscilla quite the gift by designing the mansion that they would move into. Now, this is no... When I say mansion, I mean like This is big for a mansion. It's like... They said that it had its own power plant. (laughs) Like, it has its own power plant to power this house. (laughs) This is ridiculous. (laughs) According to the documentary, The Murder of Andrea Wilborn, he spent $6 million on the mansion. Now, that was in 70s money. And I did look this up. It would be the equivalent of like $42 million now. Wow. Which is... 
Wow. Huge. That is a lot. That is a lot. It is a lot. And so it had 20 rooms and winding staircases and different wings. And it had a giant indoor pool and multiple balconies. It even had like a courtyard built into the middle and a giant pink master bathroom for Priscilla, (laughs) (laughs) which I kind of love. I love to. And it also had a super intense, state of the art, cutting edge security system. I would hope so for something this big. (laughs) In the book, Blood Will Tell, it basically says that the house was like a fortress and there were 31 deadbolts, and you could literally like hear them all click together when you armed the security system. (laughs) So it was a lot. Wow. Now, after the mansion was built, Cullen, who had never expressed any interest in art before, started filling the mansion with expensive art. They hung a Renoir in a guest bathroom. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Where you put most of your Renoir in the bathroom. Because why not? I have a Monet in mine. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) And he would just roll in and drop massive amounts of money on art. And again, this was kind of new for him. So it's not like he had a very developed taste. He was just basically spending money. And the art alone was worth $3 million, 70s money, by the time of the murder. So, I mean, this is massive. Wow. But we really need to talk about one piece of artwork in particular. (laughs) (laughs) The hung in the foyer. I can't can't stop looking. I can't stop looking at it. Guys, you've got to look this up. It's a six foot (laughs) by eight foot painting of Cullen and Priscilla, but that doesn't really give you the visual on this. There there are the main pictures of Cullen and Priscilla and Priscilla looks very angelic. Yes. And she's in this super low cut top and Cullen is sitting looking like he's like the creepiest (laughs) dude I've ever seen in my life. But then throughout the painting, there are other pictures of them that are like faded into the background and one is wearing these like ridiculous sunglasses. Like for a second, I was like, are these supposed to be like their relatives like in heaven? Like it's just them them. over and over and over. It actually looks like he's sitting in an armchair made out of himself. (laughs) Yes. I like I need a print of this that I can put in my apartment. I need everyone to pause the episode and go look up <laughs> this six foot by eight. God, I want it so bad. The most, it's the most most <laughs> thing I have ever seen. It is so extra and so seventies. Like this is the definition of extra. This is everything that I want. (laughs) And this was hanging. So if they like hosted parties, which they did, they hosted parties and balls. (laughs) Like their guests were just looking at this. (laughs) I want. I want to go to a party that has. Like someone has a painting like this in their house <laughs> so that I can just look at it the whole time because I hate being at parties. But like, <laughs> oh my God. I want a painting of this 
style of myself. Yes. yes. Can we do like a just body parts <laughs> painting of it? <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. Woo. Woo. All right. Here we go. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. Like we said, you know, Priscilla wasn't exactly fitting in with Fort Worth rich society. She tried at first and, you know, they did galas and they hosted balls and everything, but they also just sort of started partying and going to clubs. And Cullen also splurged on a private box at the Cowboys Stadium with a group of other wealthy business owners. But in exchange for paying the majority of the cost, he said that Priscilla got to decorate the box. So she she decided to put in this pink poochie print wallpaper, pink carpet, and giant mirrors with white leather chairs. <laughs> so I'm just picturing like... Dallas Cowboys football fans that are wealthy going to this box. They're sitting in this. There's, I assume they've got a glass of scotch in one hand, yes. a cigar in the other hand. And they're just yep. sitting in this. And these, these white leather chairs with like a pink shag carpet is what I'm picturing. And like they look to the side and there's just like mirrors. I tried really hard to find pictures of this and I couldn't. But. Oh my gosh. I just... I love that. This is the way that I would go to a football game. Okay. (laughs) Sign me up. But, you know, Priscilla didn't care. Like, she was her own person and she loved having a good time. And she and Colin were happy to pay to, you know, do what she wanted. And so around this time, Colin became great friends with Roy Rimmer Jr., a former stockbroker. And they started acquiring businesses together. But these business acquisitions came at a high cost for Cullen, and he fronted the money from his personal accounts and personal loans under the agreement that he would get paid back. But Rimmer never paid him back any money. And yet, Cullen still kept funding the deals that Rimmer would come to him with. And he ended up spending $7.5 million this way. What do we need to do to get someone to pay us seven and a half million dollars for us not having to actually do anything and pay it back? It's so interesting to me, this particular detail. And I don't know if it's just that Cullen didn't have a lot of close friends growing up. And so he absolutely did trust his friend. I mean, it's mind blowing that he just kept funding these businesses over and over. Yeah. And it also tells you like how much money he has. If seven and a half million dollars, he's kind of like meh. Like I'll, I'll I'm sure I'll get paid back. You it's know? fine. Yeah, I'm like seventy five dollars. If you don't pay me back, I'm gonna start freaking out. <laughs> right. If I pay you one dollar and you don't pay me back, <laughs> you're on the list. <laughs> <laughs> So all of that combined with the general reckless spending led to a big feud between Cullen and his brother, Bill. And Bill thought that Cullen was into some shady business practices and possibly even using employee pension funds as collateral and engaging in insider training, stock manipulation, and tax fraud. 
But Ken, the other brother, sided with Cullen, and they ended up actually firing Bill from the company. So talk about some family drama there, too. There was family drama at home, too, because as much fun as Priscilla and Cullen were having going out and spending money and as many gifts as he was adorning her with, it was far from sunshine and rainbows. At home, Cullen had a temper. And people knew pretty widely about Cullen's temper. Publicly, if he lost at pool, he would break the cue and like throw it into pieces. And one time at a party that they were hosting, he got really mad about something and threw, like he picked up the keys off of the valet stand and threw them all. What? So like people couldn't even go home. (laughs) No. So he was very quick tempered. And at home, he really was trying to rule the house, like master of the house kind of thing. Sure. And it was not good. Dee, the oldest daughter, was super rebellious, and that really got to him. He would beat her, hit her with a belt, and I have to give a little content warning for animal abuse here. If that's hard for you to hear, just go ahead and skip ahead by like 30 seconds. Yeah, this one's sad. He once broke Dee's nose and killed her kitten by slamming it on the floor because she left the door unlocked. So, not a good dude. Not not Horrible. good. Yeah. And unlike D, who was very rebellious, Andrea, the twelve-year-old, was very reserved, and she was obedient. She was like an artist and a free spirit, and just a very, very gentle soul. And people really thought that she was like very kind and sweet. Sure. But Cullen just really tore into her. So it's not even that he just couldn't handle Dee's rebellion. He was really just looking to exert power because he really had it out for Andrea. He called her stupid all the time. He made fun of her. And one night he forced her to let him help her with her math homework. And he made her stay up all night long working on it. It's so weird. It's so weird the way that he treats her. Super weird abuse. Like very, very Uh mental, like getting in your head on a creepy, creepy level. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I didn't find anything about him physically abusing Andrea because he did with D. I don't think we have any reason to believe that he wouldn't have with her. I don't think it's a huge stretch. Exactly. And after that night where he made her stay up all night, she told her dad that she didn't ever want to go back to the house. And that really made Cullen mad. You know, he wanted to control the situation. He liked to be in control. And he made Priscilla call her to try and make her come back. And that conversation just wasn't kind of going anywhere. So he ends up grabbing the phone and screaming at her, saying that if she didn't come back that weekend, she could never come back. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Priscilla also did not escape his wrath. He beat her regularly. One time he beat her up really bad because she got upset with him for flirting with somebody at a party. And he once beat her with her own crutch, too. Toxic masculinity really bad right like that just keeps ringing in my head so true for him just awful so eventually the marriage started to fall apart and it was Colin who wanted a divorce and he filed in 1974 
And because of how wealthy he was, this was going to be a big, messy, drawn-out divorce. And the judge overseeing the case, Judge Eidson, gave Priscilla temporary ownership of the house and ordered Cullen to give her monthly support payments. And Eidson was tough on Cullen. He froze his assets so that Cullen couldn't even sell stocks to make those monthly payments. He also increased the payments at one point from $2,500 a month to $3,500 a month. So he definitely is not favoring Cullen here at all. Right. And Cullen saw that. He saw Eidson as someone who was out to get him. In the meantime, both Cullen and Priscilla moved on romantically. And Cullen started dating 26-year-old Karen Master. Karen was more quiet and more plain than Priscilla. But after they started dating, she dyed her hair platinum blonde and she got breast implants. And Priscilla started dating a man named W.T. Ruffner. And Ruffner was an electrician, but he was also a drug dealer. And like, let's remember, this was the 70s. You know, a lot of people were on drugs. Yeah. There would later be a lot of contention about when Priscilla started her affair with Ruffner. And she insisted that it was after the separation, but there may have been some overlap, which made her look very bad at the time, if that's true. And rumors started flying around town about sex-filled drug parties that they held at the mansion over the next six months. And their relationship would continue to fall apart. And they had one big fight one night when Ruffner wrecked the car And after he moved out in 1975, he ended up showing drunk at the house and caused a big scene before he was kicked out. After they broke up, Priscilla pretty much immediately moved on to Stan Farr. Now, Stan was six foot nine. Dang. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's so much taller than me. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, we need to find someone who's six nine to take a picture next to you. Like, so we, we wouldn't even fit in the same frame. I'm five one, guys. So, like, I am so short. I would just be looking straight up. So, he was a former basketball player at Texas Christian University. And he had been sort of a late bloomer, but he was one of those guys that really shot up in their height in high school. And, you know, a lot of times they do end up playing basketball because people think tall guys have to play (laughs) basketball. And so he did. Right. And after college, he went into business and he started several small companies, including, and I love this detail, a topless hamburger restaurant. I mean... My goodness. <laughs> yeah. I can't really wrap my mind around that one, but it seem, seems dangerous to me somehow. I know, I'm like, like I'm just <laughs> I'm just picturing hot grease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting for sure. And despite that killer business idea, none of his businesses really took off super successfully. Stan was also married twice. He moved off to Kansas City for a little while. Then he moved back to Fort Worth. And eventually he was hired by a beer distributor in the area. Now, he was kind of part of this high society circle, at least tangentially. And so he knew the Davises in passing. But he really connected with Priscilla in 1975, just as she was separating with Ruffner. And they struck up a relationship. They were both in the midst of divorces, 
but they had a lot of fun together and they really didn't try and hide their relationship at all. In fact, they had a very public relationship and he moved into the mansion almost right away. Now, around this time, Stan started becoming very interested in what is called cosmic cowboy style. (laughs) Now, I was not alive in the 70s. I had no idea what this was. No. So I had to look it up. And it is basically like a very super trendy cowboy kind of style uh, with rock and roll elements. So it's like Elvis meets cowboy like i guess i love the picture that you included for me this is a beautiful picture and you know what i'm gonna look up who this is real fast so that we can tell them because when i was looking up what cosmic cowboy was it was started by this cosmic cowboy style parsons okay so yes the picture that melanie is talking about that i included for her to look at is a picture of graham parsons who apparently started this cosmic cowboy trend or at least was the face of it and he's wearing like a white blazer top with like white bell-bottom pants and a button-down sort of straight-laced black shirt Uh underneath but then on the jacket (laughs) are like maybe roses and also possibly lip kiss prints i'm not super yeah, clear yeah with like and fire going up and down the pants <laughs> there's like flames going up but the then there are like legs. a lot of green plants on it too <laughs> <laughs> like honestly i would not be surprised if like someone trendy in denton like wore this particular outfit like on a Tuesday. I can totally see somebody wearing this. This is a very Denton outfit to me. It is. And I feel like Cosmic Cowboy style is due for a renaissance. So yes, somebody out comes there back, right? get on that. Let's start it. <laughs> now, Stan invested in a quote, pseudo Western discotheque. called the rhinestone cowboy nice (laughs) i don't even really begin to contemplate what a pseudo western discotheque is but i like (laughs) (laughs) i would go there totally so stan also made friends with a lot of musicians through his investment in the rhinestone cowboy and he would have them over for parties at the mansion and this led to more wild rumors about sex and drug-filled parties priscilla maintains that this never really did happen and there's never any corroborating evidence of this so i think it's more like there probably was definitely drugs and probably sex going on, but right. the rumors were flying and people were acting like they were having Woodstock inside the mansion, you know? Sure, sure. So around this time, Priscilla, who is still in the midst of this very public and stressful divorce with Cullen, also started having some medical issues. She ended up having fibroid cysts and an ulcer, And she was prescribed a lot of very strong painkillers that she started to become dependent on. And that would kind of continue for a while for her. Yeah. And these were like pretty intense painkillers. And she was partying a lot, specifically with her daughter Dee's friend, 
Bev Bass, who she actually became very close to. And I would say that Priscilla and Bev were friends, despite the fact that that was her daughter's friend, which seems a little bit unusual, but it is what it is. I think that Bev really looked at her as somebody very close. And she spent a lot of time with her and a lot of time there at the mansion. And Bev also was friends with Andrea and she would take her out. So they were just very, this was like a very close family member, almost like it was like a cousin in a way. Yeah. Dee, on the other hand, was fighting with Priscilla a lot. And Andrea had never really warmed back up to her after the incident with Cullen. So Priscilla's relationship with both of them was a little bit strained. And she did have a lot of stress in general. Yeah. And Stan was under some stress, too. There was an issue at the Rhinestone Cowboy with $200 a week missing. And it was not doing super well. Yeah. And on top of that, there was a rival Cosmic Cowboy joint. Uh, uh. (laughs) Opened by someone named Horace Copeland. Now, that place was called the Eyes of Texas, but it was formerly known as the Beef and Boogie Club. Why would you call it the Eyes of Texas when you had such a bomb-ass name like Beef and Boogie Club? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Beef and Boogie Club is gold. If that reopens in the resurgence of Cosmic (laughs) Cowboy style, then let's go there. Let's just start Beef and Boogie Club 2.0. Oh, yes. Yes. And Horace, the owner of Eyes of Texas, was involved in a domestic violence lawsuit with one of his employees slash also mistresses. And Stan ended up having to be a witness. He was subpoenaed in to testify and Horace threatened him. So Stan started carrying a gun with him. So that's a lot going on. Like that's a lot of stress. And as it happens when, you know, a couple is dealing with a lot of stress... Priscilla and Stan started fighting a lot. And despite that, Priscilla did want to marry him. And she told him that they could get married as soon as her divorce was final. But this wasn't moving exactly as they had planned. On July 28th, 1976, Priscilla went to the doctor and she was in a very heightened emotional state. And she was paranoid and jumpy. And, you know, we can look at that now as these are symptoms of being addicted to pain pills, but I don't know that they were looking at that in the same way. The final court date was supposed to be set for the 30th, but Priscilla wanted to delay it due to her emotional state. And her doctor did write a letter saying that she was in no condition to stand trial. And on August 2nd, the judge agreed for her motion to delay. This, of course, made Cullen really angry. And then he only grew angrier when the judge also increased his monthly payments from $3,500 to $5,000 and ordered him to pay Priscilla $52,000 for upkeep of the house and attorney fees. So I can just imagine Cullen being really pissed about this. That same day, August 2nd, Cullen had lunch with D. And Dee told Cullen that Andrea was going to stay the night at the mansion. She wasn't actually originally supposed to be there that night. So Andrea had been in Houston and that weekend Jack Wilborn was supposed to come and pick her up, but there had been a last minute change of plans. So Dee had gone to get her and she was staying at the mansion instead. 
And after that lunch, Cullen started berating Dee because she was supposed to give him a budget for her college plans, and he made her promise to stay home that night to work on the budget. And she pretty much told him what he wanted to hear, but she made plans to go out anyway. And that night, Priscilla and Stan had plans to go out to meet with friends for a celebration, and they left the mansion around 9 to go meet up with their friends. And so they left Andrea at home, and she spoke to Stan's sister on the phone at 10.30. That brings us back to the opening scene from this case. Here's what happened according to eyewitnesses. The first part of this is what I told you earlier about Andrea. At some point after she got off the phone, someone entered the house, either with a key or because Andrea let them in. And they went down into the basement where she was shot. Stan and Priscilla didn't return to the mansion until about 12.30 a.m. And when they did, they noticed that the security system wasn't armed, but the girls often forgot to arm it. So that wasn't really anything that they thought much about. Sure. Stan headed up to the bedroom while Priscilla started walking through and turning off the lights. And then she noticed blood on the door to the basement stairs. So she called out to Stan, but before he could calm down, out of the laundry room stepped Cullen Davis, dressed in black, wearing a curly black wig, his hand inside a plastic bag. Why was he wearing a wig? I guess so people wouldn't recognize him if they saw him. Oh my gosh. From afar. He said hi, and then he shot Priscilla in the chest. Now, Priscilla starts calling out to Stan, but actually telling him to go back, but he was already obviously rushing to help her, and there was a door that led into the hallway that kind of went off to the master bedroom wing, and Cullen was on one side of that doorway, and Stan was on the other, and he shot through the door. It did hit Stan. But Stan managed to get the door open, and Stan and Cullen grappled and wrestled, and Cullen shot him two more times. Stan gasped for breath and died right there. Now, while Cullen was dragging Stan toward the hallway, Priscilla managed to escape the house, and she ran away outside, but she was falling repeatedly. She'd been shot, you know, so she's not in great condition, and it wasn't hard for Cullen to catch up. And he grabbed her in the courtyard. She begged for her life. She said that she loved him, that she had never loved anybody but him. You know, she's begging, begging, begging. And he dragged her back to the door. But then for some reason, he leaves her there by the door and he goes back to deal with Stan's body. And there is a lot of speculation as to why he leaves her. Mm -hmm. But obviously, we'll never know. I think that the most likely explanation that I've read is that he actually wanted her to see everybody else die. And he wanted her, he wanted to take her down to see Andrea is what they think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when he kind of goes back to Stan's body, Priscilla makes another break for it and she managed to hide in the bushes. Now, while all of this was going on, Bev Bass had returned to the mansion with her boyfriend, Bubba Gavril. And Bubba could see over the courtyard wall and he witnessed a man and a blonde woman struggle. And he heard her say, I love you. I've always loved you. And he saw him drag the woman. Shortly after that, the man reappeared back in the courtyard and Bubba called out to him. What's going on? Where is everybody? 
And the man said, they are right this way. Follow me. And Bubba and Bev started to follow when Bev recognized him. And she called out, Bubba, that's Cullen. And Cullen turned around and shot Bubba. Like, he's just shooting everybody. My gosh. Bev started running away, screaming, Cullen, please don't shoot me. It's Bev. She flagged down a car and jumped in. And the car was driven by Robert Sawhill, who drove her until they saw a security guard, John Smedley. He pulled over and she flagged him down. She told him that her boyfriend had been shot at the big house on the hill and that Cullen did it. So they called the police. Now, at the same time that Bev, Bubba, and Cullen were interacting, Priscilla was able to escape from the bushes where she had been hiding. She ran to the nearest neighbor's house and banged on the door, screaming, My name is Priscilla Davis. I live in the big house in the middle of the field. I'm very wounded. Cullen is up there killing my children. He is killing everyone. The owners of the house called the police at 12.42 a.m. The police first responded to Bev and John's call, and Bev came with them back to the house where they found Gavril trying to call 911, but the phone line had been disconnected. They found Stan's body, they saw blood on the stairs, and shortly after, they found Andrea in the basement. So, miraculously, Priscilla and Bubba Gavril were okay, but they did get rushed to the hospital, and there was police and and loud sirens and lights. And so it didn't take long for people to sort of get wind of what had happened. And Ken, Colin's older brother, actually called him and, you know, told him, like, something's going on, like, a girl is dead, all the stuff is going on in your old house. And Cullen said he had no idea what what he was talking about. And Ken was like, well, the police are looking for you. What are you going to do? And he said he was going back to bed. Now, the police contacted Cullen multiple times that night and finally came to arrest him at 4.30 in the morning. And moving forward into preparing for a trial, the prosecution felt very good about this case. Mm-hmm. Baba Gavril's ID of Cullen would be a little bit shaky because he had never actually recognized Cullen. He wasn't super familiar with him. And, you know, Bev was the one who had shouted, that that's who it was, mm-hmm. but Priscilla's stories and Bev's stories lined up pretty perfectly. And that's everything that we just told you is officially alleged because these came from Priscilla and Bev's story. Sure, sure. But they lined up perfectly and the rest of Bubba's story lined up with it. And then on top of that, the physical evidence did support this. You know, they found plastic bag fragments mm-hmm. and they had said that Cullen had sanded the plastic the bag. Plastic bag. Mm-hmm. It was clear from Stan Farr's autopsy that he had been gasping for breath before he died. And, you know, the prosecution was like, okay, this is super solid. Yeah. We've got yeah. very reliable eyewitness testimony. And they were fully confident that they could make this case with no problem. But they knew it was also going to be a big spectacle. Cullen was one of the richest men in Texas, very well known. So this is going to be a big deal. Yeah. Now, the first thing that they had to decide was what to charge him with. And they wanted to charge him with capital murder so that he couldn't get out on bail because they knew that he would easily be able to make whatever bail they set. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in Texas, capital murder is a different charge than murder. And I think different states define this differently. But in Texas Mm -hmm. at, at the time, capital murder is murder that has to accompany another felony, 
like burglary. And so they thought that they could possibly make the argument that because Priscilla was granted custody of the house and because Cullen had a restraining order, he was breaking and entering and trying to commit burglary and then also committed the murder so they could go for capital murder. But sure. it wasn't super solid because technically it was his house and they weren't sure right. if they could get away with that. Yeah, And so they ended up just charging him with first-degree murder at first. And he was out on $80,000 bond in no time. And the public was very upset about this. And on the note of Texas law at the time, this does become very important. They couldn't try him for both the murders of Stan Farr and Andrea Wilborn. They could only try one at a time. And so they're starting to prepare to bring the case of the murder of Andrea Wilborn first. Okay. And the capital murder thing kind of went on the back burner, but then Cullen forced their hand because he was spotted on the way to his private jet to escape. (laughs) And so they had to intervene. So right then they were like, okay, uh, let's go get him. We'll reindict him for capital murder. And he was denied bond there. In the documentary, they mentioned that... uh, he said, oh, we were just going to Houston. But then the pilot of the jet said, no, we were going like out of the country. <laughs> he said somewhere else, Brazil yeah. or something. Like he was, he we was, was getting get out. out. He was there gone. for sure. And that, Soakers, is where we're going to end today's episode. In the next episode, we're going to hear about Cullen's legal team and the trial. This case is still full of more twists and turns than you can even imagine. If you're a patron, you can go ahead and listen to part two right away. Otherwise, tune in with us next week to hear the rest of the tale. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Body Parts merch, snag your shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.